Yoshian Cast, the number one haircutting anime uh, podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Good one. <laughs> Thanks for I, having me. I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, someone did get a haircut. In... We got two, we had two anime, we had two series this week that oh. featured important haircuts. You're right. Okay. That's legit then. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, just so everyone knows, uh... We are this is uh, we are covering week six of the fall season, covering all sports anime from November fifth to November the eleventh. Uh, Matt, do we have any news or announcements? Well, I don't think we have any news, uh, but we do have a question of the week. Um, oh, which is from me. I I, th- I think you were you were right last week to just say you know we need to stop the stupid little gag of pretending that it's from someone when it's just <laughs> us. Um, right. <laughs> of course, people are more than welcome to ask them uh, themselves by emailing us at koshincast at gmail dot com. But uh, if you don't, that's fine too because we'll just ask each other stuff. Um, <laughs> so my question of the week is Matt. The last time that you regularly wore a hat for an extended period of time, what kind of hat was it? Um, do winter caps count? Um, I, I, because I, that would be the answer, but I don't. I don't really think that's like an that's... interesting answer. Right. Um. So I. So I'm gonna go. Uh, barring any winter hats. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I would say the only other time I ever wore a hat, uh, so I, I work at a video game retailer. I, I mean, I work at GameStop. I mean, there, there aren't any other ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was a time in which we were getting, uh, Mario Brothers 3 themed hats. Uh, now, Mario Brothers 3 is my favorite game of all time. Uh, so I ended up buying them and I did wear those, uh, I did wear a hat for a... I would say for like at least a few months. Uh, this was back in the college in my college years, like probably towards the beginning. I would say back when I was still kind of doing hats. Uh, I have not really worn hats for an extended period of time since then. Yeah. So why oh. why Super Mario? Wait, no, Mario Three hats. Yeah. Why why suddenly was GameStop providing Mario Three hats? Um, I think this was because this was around the time when the Wii was starting to, was, you know, that was the console. So, you know, Nintendo was kind of, you know, they, Nintendo had a lot of buzz at the time. So this was just very early on when GameStop was just like trying to provide some merchandise okay. for like really, really big games. This was around the time as well when New Super Mario Brothers was like a thing. Uh, you know, back when that was also like, it's just a gigantic smash hit. Yeah. Uh... So they started carrying Mario Brothers three hats. So I ended up wearing one for way too long. Yeah, I did think of one other one though. I actually forgot about this. Uh, I when I was in Japan, I did wear a Hunchin Tigers baseball cap for the entirety of my stay there. Yep. Uh, because the sun is just miserable in Japan, and I needed something to keep like. I, I needed to have something to keep the sweat out of my eyes, as well as the sun out of my eyes, mm-hmm. especially because I wear glasses. Um, and so, you know, just dealing with, like, constant sweat when you're walking around in the hot sun all day, you know, that's never any good. So, uh, I went to the Hunch and Tigers game in, uh, down in, uh, 
in Kyoto. And uh, I got, uh, while I was there, I got, I bought myself a hat and I just wore it for the entirety of the trip. Right on. The last time I wore a hat was, I actually still kind of wear a hat sometimes, but um, okay. I uh, I have a Chicago Cubs hat. <coughs> uh, it's not the their current logo, but it's sort of one of their throwback logos where it has the front-facing uh, Cub face. Right. Uh, and I uh, enjoy it. I tend to lose them or, or destroy them a lot. Like, I, I lo- my last Cubs hat when I was moving... And then the the Cubs hat I had right. before that, I accidentally lit on fire while I was camping. <laughs> this is like senior year of college. I went right. camping right before school started um, <clears throat> with a campus organization I was in. And right. my hat had gotten wet because we were canoeing or something. And so I decided to dry it by the fire. <laughs> so I set it down by the fire and it just caught on fire. <laughs> um and then after that i tried to like it wasn't completely burned but like one corner of it was very clearly burned off and there was a big hole in it right Um, and for a while i tried to wear it and just like keep wearing this burnt hat and say like oh it's just like well used and try to like make it a a style statement that like it was a well used hat Um, right but uh there was a hole in it and it it had been on fire, so it really didn't work. <laughs> anyway, I don't think that's a story I've ever told you, but now no, you know. No, that is not. That is actually news to me, and I did not realize that you were such a uh, you were such a trendsetter. Yeah, yeah, I like to think of myself as such. Well, I think that's probably more than enough information that anyone needs about our propensity for occasionally wearing hats. Um, <laughs> What do you say we talk about March Comes In Like a Lion? That sounds good to me, buddy. Okay, so this is March Comes In Like a Lion, episode 27. Um, starts off with Ray uh, talking to Hayashida, his old advisor, about trying to figure out how to help Hina with the bullying issue. Um, Hayashida is simultaneously... He wants to help Ray, but he's also trying to figure out exactly what Ray's relationship to Hina is, and he's not really sure, so there's a little awkwardness there, but Ray appreciates it because um, mostly he's told, hey, you know, Hina just needs to be given space and don't try and fix this without her input, which is good. Um, Eventually, Ray decides that he needs to win a lot more at Shogi so that he can pay for Hina's education, which we'll probably get into, Uh, and then it ends with... an extended conversation between Rei and Akari, with Akari feeling guilty because she was not able to unambiguously support Hina the way that her grandfather did, and she feels like she put more pressure on Hina instead of uh, relief. Right. Um, So I think what struck me about this episode was actually... There was just one single line that really kind of struck a chord with me, just not really because of anything in particular, um, but just because it said so much to me about Ray's character. It was when he was talking with Hayashida, and he like he's like, I was just wondering if you could give me a hint as to what I could do mm-hmm. like with Hina. And I think what struck me about that is, you know, I, I didn't really see that as being like a turn of phrase, because, you know, Ray doesn't really like... He doesn't really speak in idioms at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took that very literally because I, the from everything we've seen about Ray, is that this is a guy who seems to think that everybody else 
has an answer. It's just something that he is so wistfully unaware of because he's so socially inept that he just assumes that there's an obvious answer out there that he's not understanding. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's basically, he's going to his teacher and saying, like, uh, sir, how do you make bullying go away? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I think there's maybe, there's, like, maybe some level of understanding there that maybe, like, like maybe it's a bit more complicated, but just the fact that he's asking for a hint there mm-hmm. is, like, so, like, hey, can you just give me, like, a little clue? Because, you know, that's kind of what Ray has always relied on in the past. You know, he, he meets somebody... He kind of learns something new about their life based on some sort of action they take, and I kind of get—I kind of got the sense that he was looking for that sort of interaction with Hayashida there, and I, I really appreciated the fact that Hayashida just sort of turned it right around. It's like, look, man, everybody's different. Like, so there are some situations where some people just want to get like they just want to get back to their old life. There are other situations where you know they want to turn everything around. You know. Like, literally, it's like, there's no right answer to this because everybody has a different personality. Mm -hmm. Everybody has something that makes them tick. And you can't just find a simple solution to that. And, I don't know, to me, that that was a very... That was a very interesting way to put it for me. Just or It was a very practical way to kind of put that into words. Because it's kind of like... You know, you always say that complications are, you know, it's like, oh, it's so complex. But you never really delve into, like, what is complex about them. Mm-hmm. And the, it's like you just sort of assume, like, well, it's a complex situation. You know, there's no real right answer. The reason why there's no real right answer is because people are different. I also appreciate the fact that Hayashida, he knew, like, he acknowledged, okay, there's no one answer. <coughs> there's no definite way to fix this. And you'll go crazy if you try and figure out all the different possible approaches. And he's like, but that doesn't mean you have an excuse to not try. Right. Um, and so what what he ends up suggesting is basically that, you know, there's, there's no one way to fix this. But a lot of times when bullying happens, people forget about the person who was bullied and they end up trying to fix things and make the bullying disappear without actually understanding the experience of the person who got bullied and like what they want right Um, so i thought that i thought that was that was interesting because as soon as you know parents get involved and school administrators get involved it stops being about the actual kids right I I was a little confused by how they sort of presented that situation because it did seem almost because they have they have the characters in stills during this moment and mm-hmm. it's kind of treated more as a gag. I was kind of I, I it it was and it wasn't because it kind of took a darker turn at the end of that little sequence. Um I, I don't know, I was kind of confused by like the choice of tone there, I guess. Yeah, I think it was just trying to make it visually clear that this wasn't about real people like this was a theoretical scenario right i don't know maybe that wasn't done the best the other thing that was confusing in that scene was that shortly thereafter ray dropped all the papers he was carrying and hayashida started looking at them and it was a bunch of lists of shogi tournaments with prize winnings on it right and ray started talking about how oh i need to pay back hina because she's my savior 
uh, and Hayashida is sort of like, wait, I don't understand this relationship. What are you... <laughs> who is this person to you? Um, right. And so that was kind of a gag where we understand his relationship to Hina, but Hayashida doesn't, so that's fine. But it took a while for me to figure out why he was so fixated on the prize winnings from Shogi. Uh, and they cor- they sort of slip it in later, but it, I don't think it was communicated in a very clear right. way. Right. I, I did think that was interesting. Uh, like, I was a little confused about that as well because Hayashida is get like, Hayashida is getting kind of excited during that scene almost. Like, yeah. Is he like trying to, I didn't, couldn't tell if he was either trying to play matchmaker or if he just realized, you know, because he had that line where he's like, oh, is this a flag? Um, and he, right. he was then worried that, Ray was in an improper relationship, and so he was excited because he was uncomfortable, and he was trying to figure it out. Oh, I, I didn't get that actually. I was I was confused about the flag comment. I didn't really think about that, but you're saying like he was afraid that Hina might have been like a like a scam artist almost. No, what? No. Oh, I don't think so. I think it was he was concerned about the age difference. Oh, and oh, that, gotcha. so he thought it was a romantic relationship. And when Ray just throws around words like "she's my savior," I have to pay back a debt. You know. Oh, okay. So I, so he was like, uh, if anything, he just knew that he didn't understand, and so he was trying to ask questions about like, "Oh, do you think she's cute? Oh, what's she like?" Mostly because he need he was trying to figure out exactly what this relationship was. Right. Um, there was one line I liked at the end of that conversation, though, uh, because after Ray leaves, you know, Hayashida's like, I gotta figure out something what to do with Ray here, because this he's getting really, really excited and into this, and I don't think this, I don't know if this girl is gonna respond well to it, like, because yeah. it's like, okay, you have this guy, this other high school student, who suddenly, like, I will come, like, you don't know what their relationship is, but, you know, you've got this guy who's just suddenly... I'm going to pay for your school. You can rely on me. I will be financially, like, responsible for you. And it might be a little weird, you know? Like, it there is, is weird. Kind of that, like, there is kind of that acknowledgement that Hayashida is, like, I really don't want him to scare this girl off. Mm-hmm. Like, because he's getting so into this. But I love that they did kind of turn that around because the only person who's really excited about this is Nikaido. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of appreciated. I, I really did enjoy that uh, that moment when they start playing like the more classically shonen music mm-hmm. with the kind of the boisterous guitars and you know like you know Nikaido finally getting the rival he's always wanted. Yeah, but you know they're totally speaking different languages, right? Because Nikaido doesn't realize that Ray is getting into this because he needs money. Yeah, or he thinks he needs money. Right. Exactly. Um. Yeah, so that was interesting, and then at the end of the episode, they had the uh, conversation with Akari. I thought that was good, mostly just because it was very... I think it's a human experience that most of us have had, where someone in our life has been upset about something, and instead of being able to say, you know, I support you, I you know, and being unambiguous about supporting them and telling them that it's going to be okay and that they're okay, which is usually all people are looking for if they're coming to you and they're upset. Um, I, I, I have been a person who has tried to fix it for them or tried to tell them what they should have done differently in that moment. Right. Uh, and 
so that was Akari kind of realizing, oh, I just put more of a burden on Hina. I didn't help her. Like, I needed to be like Grandpa who just told her, you did the right thing. You know, no one should be criticizing you. You should be proud of yourself. Right. And I, I kind of liked how they turned that around at the end with Ray, you know, flat out telling her, like, you know... Maybe you should have done that, but at the same time, like, you're only doing what comes natural. And to be frank, like, Hina wouldn't been like that if it wasn't for you raising her. Mm-hmm. So you clearly did something right there. Right. And, and, I think that, and I think that's sometimes what we forget is that we only tend to think about things in the moment that we don't realize how they got to that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's what I kind of liked about that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um... I, I think I also forgot just how young Akari was. I mean, she's probably, like, 23 or 24. Right, because, I mean, yeah. Cause, so, because uh, they had the flashback of, you know, Momo and Hina when their mother died. And so to realize what kind of pressure and responsibility Akari's been under since she was, I mean, a teenager. I think that... Right. I, I knew that in part, but it was... Right, you kind of drove home the fact that it's like, yeah, she's really not, like... You know, 23 sounds like an adult. You're really not. <laughs> yeah, she's she's not totally prepared to be a, a mom to her own sister. but Right, she's not definitely not prepared to be the, a mom to a teenage girl. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, speaking of anime, want to move on to Welcome <laughs> to the Ballroom? We, we don't always need to do a speaking of blank transition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're speaking of anime, as we're wont to do on this anime podcast. <laughs> Look, do you want to talk about Welcome to the Ballroom or not? Surprisingly, this week I do. <laughs> so go ahead. I know, I'm surprised too. Okay, so this was episode 19 of Welcome to the Ballroom. It covers the... Uh, the rounds leading up to the semifinals at the Cup. Uh, uh, Chinatsu and Tadara are generally scoring full marks for all of their routines, whereas Akira is actually getting is not getting the full support of the judge, which means she is probably about to drop out of the competition. Uh, she has a flashback to when she and Chinatsu were little girls, and when they first became friends, we find out that she was getting bullied all the time. Shinatsu, however, stood up for her, uh, and they became friends. Uh, they started dancing together. Uh, however, they started to drift apart when uh, Shinatsu was getting more into actual, like, ballroom dancing rather than just sort of dance recitals. Whereas Akira really only wanted to do... Uh, she really only wanted just to spend time with Shinatsu. Uh, the episode ends with Shinatsu getting really fired up over the fact that uh, Shinatsu is really only paying attention to Tadara and is not paying any attention to her. Yeah. It was, uh, what, what I think stood out for me was mostly the, the, the second half. We right. had a, what effectively is a short story of the background between Chinatsu and Akira, and it felt like a fully told story. You know, it felt right. like we had all the pieces, we understood the mechanics of the competitions they were in we understood their relationship and their own motivations and there wasn't a bunch of euphemisms thrown around there wasn't uh you understood the technical elements of what they were doing Uh, you know it felt like an anime about ballroom dancing which usually this does not (laughs) it generally just feels like a series about 
it's like a clumsily told relationship metaphor that happens to feature some awkwardly animated dancing. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, yeah, it actually felt like this was a proper, like, flashback, essentially. It felt like an actual episode to a sports anime. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate as well that we got some, like, in the first half of the episode, we actually got some, uh, some advice or, like, some actual, like, explanation as to the actual mechanics of dance, uh, which is not something we have gotten before because we get a very lo long conversation between Tadara and Shinatsu about how Kugiyama is sort of... They're sort of undermining Akira and Mine because they can't pull off their hour... Like, they can't pull off their poses quite as well, and they're purposely dancing around them, and so by showing off in front of them, they're actually standing out more to the judges. And it's like, okay, this is actually something that makes sense to me now. Mm -hmm. Like, this actually makes sense as to how they are appealing to judges rather than just, they dance super good. Yeah, exactly. Like, they had the motivation. <clears throat> right. And, you know, honestly, I did... I thought this sort of saved me from bullying thing. I mean, admittedly, we are coming from off of uh, March Comes in Like a Lion, which was also about bullying... You know, it's kind of, it's a pretty standard reason for characters to become friends in a lot of anime. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I thought it at least kind of worked for Akira, at the very least. It was a bit more sympathetic of a reason. Uh, it, it was probably the most sympathetic motivation I have seen in the series thus far. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's a lot better than wanting to stand out. Right, exactly. Like, she wanted to spend time with her friend, um... Maybe more than friend? That, like... Well, yeah, it was pretty clear that there was some element of attraction. Uh, right, al beyond albeit, just, like, friendship. Yeah, albeit one way. Um, right. From uh, Akira to uh, Chinatsu. Um, right. Whereas, it, yeah, it, w it was also interesting seeing the relationship where Chinatsu... You know, she was friends with Akira... But I don't think she invested as much in her and mostly yeah. saw her as someone who could facilitate her dancing. Right. Like, that that was kind of my takeaway. Like, she kind of became friends with Akira and she did stand up for her. Um, but at the same time, it never really felt like Chinatsu didn't have other friends. Like, Akira was really the one who was sort of obsessing over her. You know, she was the one who saw her... Who saw the two of them as just besties forever? Mm -hmm. uh, but Shinatsu really just seemed like, yeah, we're we're friends. But uh, you want you want to do some more dancing? Like that that's kind of what I'm into. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was kind of neat to sort of see that uh, that that sort of split slowly occurring. Um, there was one scene I was a little confused about. Uh, it was when Chinatsu was, like, beating up the boy that was making fun of Akira. Yeah. Uh, he makes fun of her and says her hair is long. And without hesitation, she grabs some scissors and cuts her hair. And at first I thought she was kind of trying to show, like, you know, it's like, what you say doesn't matter to me. Like, you know, she's like, fine, my hair's too long here. I'll cut it right here for you. But then she breaks down and cries. Yeah, I mean... Also, in this scene, she's supposed to be in, like, first grade. Right, right. So, uh, I think probably it, it's a lot... I don't know. 
I think the logic doesn't necessarily need to be there. Like, she didn't expect someone to be mean about something she was maybe sensitive about. So then right. she totally overreacted, and then she realized what she'd done, and then she cried because, you know, she got upset in one moment, and she cut off her hair to, like, I'll show you, but then she regretted it immediately. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, the the lo- I, I kind of felt like I was having to do too much work to kind of make sense of that scene. Yeah. Um, but I mean, overall, though, I thought it was pretty solid, considering everything else we had with Welcome to the Ballroom. Right. Um, I I won't lie, though, I'm a little... I, I wouldn't normally be this concerned uh, about the, how they're going to go, play out the uh, the depiction of Akira and uh, Chinatsu from here on out. Uh, just because of we still have precedent with Vasily, and I have not really forgiven yeah. that. No, I, I don't. I don't trust the show to be able to balance Akira's motivations and make her not seem like a crazy, scary gay. Right, and that's kind of what I'm concerned about here <laughs> because I actually, while watching the episode, I was I was kind of blown away. It's like, are they actually showing a fairly sensitive portrayal of like you know a budding young gay romance? Like I, I was yeah, kind of taken the, aback, but the but then the last scene has her, you know, livid, angry, you know, looking like a crazy person when she sees Shinatsu and Tadara talking. You know, furious that Shinatsu, you know, she assesses that Shinatsu is flirting with Tadara or whatever. Mostly, I think she's furious that <coughs> she's talking to Tadara like an equal, and she right. never did that with her. Right, but, you know, that sort of depiction, you know, again, we have precedent with Vasily, so I'm a little yeah. hesitant about how this is going to play out. Yeah, uh, I don't think they would spend that much time giving her a relatable backstory to turn her into a caricature, but right. then again, this show has disappointed me before, so who knows. <laughs> Speaking of another show that has disappointed me, do you want to tell me about Two Car? Okay, so I take exception to that, because in order to be disappointed, there needs to be an expectation in the first place. Okay. Uh, how about an, a show that has ground my soul into powder over six weeks? <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. Let's right. talk about Two Car. Right. Uh, so this is episode six. So this episode is uh, covers the twins. Apparently they are super identical, um, but they decide that, hey, we don't want to be super identical anymore, so they decide to change by cutting their hair. Maria is the does. one... Yeah. yeah, one of them does, so that they are no longer identical. And by doing this, they are apparently now, like, different people. Uh, they are going faster on the racetrack, but they are no longer in sync, and they end up ma- taking a tumble and falling off the course, and the episode ends right there. Yeah. Um, so... I don't really know where to begin with this one. Hey, let me begin by sure. tying this back to episode five, where we had a bet that I have now lost, um, <laughs> where I said that they couldn't possibly end <coughs> the Izumi Nagisa story arc the way they did. Um, right. Because where last episode ended, um, was it Izumi was going through the course again but now she was traumatized by the thought that she might make a mistake and hurt nagisa and so she wasn't able to fully commit 
the way that Nagisa might have wanted her to, to taking dangerous routes because she didn't want to hurt someone she cared about. And she was scared and they were both thinking about these dreams they had and then they didn't talk about them. And then that's it. That's the end of the story arc. Like, they never resolved it. They never actually talked through their feelings. They never figured out, like, a different way to relate to each other. So, as far as the show is concerned, they still have the same mechanic, but it's just, like... They're okay, more they, aware of it now. Yeah, they're aware of it, and, like, they're not fighting about it. They just like having an unequal relationship. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, um, but we don't totally know why, and there's a lot of reason to believe that Nagisa actually doesn't like it, but we just don't care. Yeah, kind of. I mean, again, Matt, they they are the sadomasochistic pair. Yeah, you, you cannot change that dynamic. Yeah, because it's going appeal. to destroy people's interpretations of them. So they have, like, again, this is a series about quickly selling merch as fast as possible. So, like, if they change anything about those characters, it's not going to work out. So I guarantee you, this episode, this storyline is going to end. With the two of them resolving the fact that they need to be the same person again. Oh, And so you, you want to know why I know that as well. Have you seen the merch? No, I have not seen the merch. I have seen the opening sequence. And you can see in the opening sequence that both of their hairs... That they both have haircuts at the end of it. Oh. Why the hell would they do that? <laughs> that's so... Oh, man. That's so lazy. Um... I know! Because it's like, because that's going to be the character design that's going to be for the majority of the series for them. So they can't be bothered to animate. Like, they have the character model there. Yeah. They don't want to have to reanimate it. Because this is a cheaply made series. Oh, yeah. Um, I also want to point out as well, speaking of cheaply made, there are two scenes in this series. I'm sorry. There are two scenes uh, where they are not racing. They are either... Um... <laughs> They're either in the sh- they're all either in the bath. We yeah. watched them take a hot we watched the we watched them take a bath. I want to point out that there were two hot springs uh, sequences in this episode to make up for the fact that we didn't get one in the first one. So now right. we are six we are six sequences for six six episodes. Yeah. Um and then they also have them sitting down and eating. Yeah. Like oh yeah, it's sitting down and eating and then I guess the only other one is them getting ready to go on the course. Right, and then they're on the course. And that's, that's literally every sequence in the show. Yeah. They might occasionally have a flashback, but... Yeah, you're right. pretty much right, as far as what they do on the island. The other... that that That's very true. It, it was insane how many times they cut back to that inn. Like, what, <laughs> what got me in this episode... <coughs> Was that presumably every time they cut back either to them eating at the inn or in the hot springs, that's because it's the end of a day, right? right? And they had several racing sequences where they showed the twins racing. And as far as I could tell, and this might not be perfect, but as far as I could tell, this episode alone covered like four days. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and these are all it's not like the events of this episode are happen, happening simultaneously with the previous episodes like all of the plot from the first two arcs have been resolved those characters are resolved right. and different now um Vaguely. so this is well okay you know what i mean <laughs> but like the the only reason i bring that up is that like all of these days have happened so right. every episode has between between like two and four days pass 
So if we ignore episode one, we take five. Right. It's been like two weeks, right? Of people occasionally going out and testing. The other there's so much about this show. Um, the other interesting fact that we learned this week was right. that the main road around the island opens to public traffic at 5 p.m. every day. <laughs> but it's clear that most of them do their racing in full sunlight, so even as late as you want to say it, it might open at, like, noon or 1, I think, like, based on the way that it's animated. It could even be earlier than that, but at least four or five hours every right. day for two weeks has been... These groups of high school girls occasionally racing around. And the entire <laughs> island of women and faceless men are okay with this. It's insane. How that is long part of the is local this economy? Event? Yeah, but they're not doing anything. No one is watching. It's just you've got some crazy self-appointed high school announcers who are broadcasting every time someone does a practice run for two weeks to whom i feel like they're not actually broadcasting to anyone they're just right, doing they're just it for their own benefit because they keep talking about the fans but it's like we haven't seen there's not a single fan, fan. There's right. no fans. Is it like the parents of these girls who just want to keep check up on their kids who are right we're racing incredibly dangerous sports? Well, also, is this a circuit? And if it's a circuit, do they get, like, a month of prep time for every race? Because right. it's, it's, Matt, it's been two weeks in show. <laughs> How has it been two weeks? Oh, my God, Matt, you know, I this occurred to me. Uh, we should go back and watch the. I should just go back and watch the beginning of this show, just the first episode, just like the first cut, few, first like minute or so, right? Mm -hmm. I should see what haircut the twins have because that might actually give us a clue about when this takes place or when right. that takes place. Yeah, because if their hair is still cut, that means it actually takes place after. But if they're not cut, it could still be either way because who knows? The girls may regrow their hair after some time. I don't know. Yeah. That's a good that's a good thought. It's just this world and the concept of this show get show. weirder every time. I know. I, in a weird way, I am the show is at least more interesting than some of the other girls doing like cute girls doing sports shows that we've watched. Yeah. But not in, like, a good way? No, no, it's just, like, the insanity of the meta-narrative. The right. fully unintentional meta-narrative <laughs> that we're imposing upon it. This is, like, I mean, it's not as good as Tiger Mask. But this no, is sort of, is like, not. in the same way that we had to create our own fun with Tiger Mask. Right. I think that's what we're gonna have to do with it. I think that's kind of what's happening with us with, with Two Car. Yeah, I mean, but I gotta tell you, it's only fun to talk about after the fact. Actually watching this show... No! I, I was texting you last night when I watched it. I had to take several breaks because, <laughs> like, I was, I was watching this episode and I, uh, I was thinking to myself, okay, this is really dragging, but, you know, it's probably almost over. We probably reached about the end. And I looked, and it was 12 minutes in. I wasn't even halfway through. And I just had to leave. I had to stand up and just take a break. Um, I, 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 won't deny, I won't lie when I started up, because I, was do, I did all my anime watching this morning. And uh, I have to say, like, I, I put off 
two car for probably longer than I should have. Uh, just sitting there, I was literally just sitting there in front of the TV <laughs> on my phone. It's like, okay, Matt, you got to get to it. You got to start two car. I think I finally did after an hour. Yeah, like yeah. the show is not fun to no. sit through. No, it's rough. Uh, luckily, we still have big wind up, old reliable. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so this is uh, episode four of season two of Big Wind Up. Um, it takes us from the bottom of the second inning through the bottom of the fourth. Uh, the the big takeaways: there's a lot of individual plays, and we we can sort of go over it. Uh, but the the big takeaways are that Nishiura continues to pile on. They're scoring one or two runs every inning um, just by pouncing on. Uh, the Sakitama's pitcher, who's not really prepared for that level of hitting, and they're also able to keep Daichi from hitting, and thereby prevent him from driving anyone in, so Sakitama's not able to score. Also, uh, Sakitama's pitcher is getting frustrated because their captain is still really encouraging and chill, even though everyone on the team is realizing that they're probably going to lose this <coughs> game. Um, so by the end of the day... Uh, not by the end of the day, but by the end of the episode, Nishira is up 6 nothing. Uh, and although they're getting a lot more confident, Hanai is losing confidence because he feels like everyone's counting on Tajima to drive in runs, even if he's not hitting. Right. Um, so, I feel like we've said this a lot with Big Windup. I, I thought this was a good episode. I wouldn't necessarily... But, you know, it's kind of like one of those episodes that's just sort of moving the game along. Yeah. Uh, again, the stuff with Hanai was fairly interesting um that was really kind of the the saving point that was kind of the most interesting point of the show for me this week uh just because i i liked that momo actually pointed out that like you know hanai if it wasn't for tajima would actually probably be the star of this team Mm -hmm. uh but tajima's just so good that they can't just not use him right so but she doesn't want Hane to kind of lose confidence in himself. So, you know, she kind of wanted an opportunity uh, to let Hanai get the spotlight. And, you know, she thought this game would actually be good for him, you know, since they had the excuse that uh, Tajima injured himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, it we'll, we'll have to see if, that, if he ends up pulling himself out of it, because I'm honestly not sure where that's going to go. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because the the events have sort of conspired against Momoi's plan where she was hoping to give Hanai the opportunity to make a big hit, but he right. hasn't he hasn't been able to pull through with a big hit yet, but Tajim is still getting on base just by bunting. Like he's right. he's making constructive outs and he's getting on base and he's scoring even though all he can do is bunt. Um and so that's kind of frustrating for Hanai that even though he's given the go-ahead to be a big hitter, he's unable to do it. Right. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of, and, you know, that can be really frustrating sometimes, because you know it's silly. Like, you know, the team is winning, I should, you know, you should be happy. Yeah, but he you knows know, he's wrong. <laughs> right. But, you know, you can't really, like, you can't just, like, say, tell yourself to, like, to, like, not feel that sometimes, right. you know? Like... You yeah. practice this much, and you know you know you're good at what you do, but just the fact that there's just somebody there who's just constantly 
bailing everybody out without almost without even trying it seems like at times yeah like even though like he's like like even though he's like injured in this case he's still doing it mm-hmm. yeah um, so that, that was good and i also thought it's it's good to see the the perspective of sakitama where they have this third year captain who he he's realizing that he's been too easy on his team the whole time he's never really put the pressure on he's <coughs> never really expected much from them because people kept quitting the team and they weren't very good and so he mostly decided he wanted baseball to just be a fun environment for people instead of right. one where people were focused on winning so he wasn't focused on winning and he didn't pretend to be um and he realizes that he's he's put other people in the position where they want to win uh but he hasn't kept up with them and he hasn't given them that extra motivation even though he's the captain so yeah i don't know it'll be kind of interesting because they're clearly going to lose but seeing how he faces um the end of the game and how you know how he reacts to that how the team reacts to it i don't know it, right. it, it it went a little slower than i thought it would i thought they would have kind of accelerated the pace um, right. they, so this might take another two or three episodes to end this game but i kind of hope it doesn't yeah no, i i kind of want this to be over next episode just because like you know as interesting as big wind up generally is I, you know this is not a game that really needs to go on for yeah there's not a lot I, of I mean, tension here i mean i'm gonna be uh, i'm gonna be perfectly honest here it probably doesn't hasn't needed to go on as long as it has yeah, it could have far. ended this game, you know, or this episode. Uh, this episode. Uh, the, I kind of hope they end up just calling the game next episode because you know there's six runs ahead and it's like the yeah. fifth ending. Yeah, I think uh, I think if they get a ten run lead after a certain point, they do have that rule. So I think right. that's probably what'll happen. Yeah, that's kind. I thought that's kind of what they were shooting for. Yeah. Uh, one other minor uh, point I wanted to make note of this episode: we did get one new character introduction that I think we both forgot about because it was such a non-reveal. Uh, Abe's father. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I what I thought was interesting about that was uh, so when uh, at the beginning of the episode, Mihashi makes his bunt and it immediately gets like he immediately gets out pretty much. You know, he, but he, you know, he makes the run and the die for it anyway. Mm-hmm. And you see Abe getting really frustrated with Mihashi. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, it's like, you're going to injure yourself, man. You can't do that. But in the stands, Abe's dad is actually cheering for him. Mm-hmm. For uh, and, you know, or Yeah, for Mihashi. You know, he's kind of cheering. He's like, yeah, good pace, kid. Like, nice job. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic uh, just because of the fact that, you know, Abe himself has always been very, you know, he's... Abe has always kind of came come off as more of Mihashi's dad than anybody mm-hmm. else. Probably even more so than his actual father would ever come off as if he was ever shown mm-hmm. in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting contrast between his uh, his dad, who's actually being more supportive to Mihashi than Abe actually has been. Even mm-hmm. if it's just, you know, he's just supporting the team, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I thought that was just a little funny was all. Yeah. It was a good time. It always is. Uh, And so is this podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. (laughs) No problem, Matt. Anytime.
Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Cast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.